Hello. In this episode, I'm back with David Keane from Solve My Claim. Now, you may be familiar with David. We did three episodes with him earlier in season 12, all about home insurance. So Solve My Claim actually provides expert support and assistance to anyone who is struggling with their insurance claims. And David is an expert on all things home and content insurance. And he's going to help us actually understand and decipher the differences between insurance policies and what to check before you purchase an insurance policy so that you know that you're covered. This is really essential listening for anyone who's actually choosing a home and contents insurance policy or if you want to review your existing policy to ensure that you're covered properly. So let's dive in. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Welcome to season 12 of the Get It Right podcast called Rebuild and Build Better. This season includes a range of conversations with some fantastic experts and professionals, and we're diving into a range of topics related to rebuilding after bushfires, building or renovating in bushfire-prone areas, and more generally, designing and building more resilient homes. This season of the podcast has been inspired by one of our Undercover Architect course members who has over 20 years experience in disaster recovery and saw the need, given our recent summer bushfires in Australia, for a resource to help people rebuilding their homes after bushfire. He's been a great help to me in connecting me with information and people I can now share with you. You can see video versions of all of our interviews, as well as get a copy of the full transcripts, plus loads more helpful resources for your journey on the Undercover Architect website. Head to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash rebuild for all the info you need to rebuild and build better. Now let's get on with the episode. Now, if you've been tuning in for this whole season 12 on the podcast, you'll be familiar with David Keane from Solve My Claim because he was a guest for some earlier episodes that we had in the season talking about the difficulties that people have with their insurance claims and what to do if you're struggling with your insurance claim process. But let me remind you quickly, just in case. So David is the director of Solve My Claim and he's been involved in the insurance industry, primarily in the area of claims management loss adjusting and assessing services for more than 24 years. And during this time, he was constantly amazed at how many people came to him with insurance problems, complaints, disputes and claims problems. In every instance, he was able to resolve those claims and he realised that there was nowhere for these people to turn and that realisation started a process that resulted in the creation of Solve My Claim in 2014. Solve My Claim exists to provide expert guidance and to help you navigate through claims disputes and problems that can be difficult to resolve. Many people feel disempowered when making an insurance claim because the company has a team of experts acting for them and you are all on your own. Well, not any longer. Solve My Claim is levelling the playing field and ensuring that you have the best possible opportunity to solve your claim. Now, in this interview, David's actually going to help us understand more about purchasing insurance policies and assessing insurance policies to make sure that we're covered. So he's going to help us see what he recommends you specifically check in your insurance PDS to ensure that you're covered and then how to best determine the value of your home and contents for insurance purposes so that you get that right 
and also whether any unapproved structures, especially on rural and regional properties, will actually be covered in your insurance policy if anything goes wrong with them. So let's hear more. Well, David, we're back talking about how to be prepared and how to actually ensure that your insurance policy is going to protect you for something that might um, happen to you, your contents and your home. I think um, with the recent fires, with the storms that have happened, a lot of people are seeing the frequency of these events being much more significant, much more regular, and starting to look at their insurance policies and thinking, okay, am I actually covered? Um, what am I going to need to be aware of? I know that they actually put an embargo, um, I don't know if they've lifted it, but they were put in, the insurance companies actually put an embargo on people increasing their policies um, around that time. So if you're reviewing your insurance policy, what do you actually recommend are the things that people look at and check specifically in that PDS statement to be confident that they've got the coverage that they need? Sure. Okay. So most insurance policies, uh, they, they appear very uh, complex and very detailed and 100 and something pages or whatever they might be. But most of them are actually, they, they follow a fairly similar format. And, and so generally, so the first the first thing would be understand your policy. Don't necessarily need to memorise every word of it, but understand what, what this contract is that you've entered into. And if you if you don't understand or if it's it's beyond your maybe your comprehension, by all means outsource to an expert. You can actually go through an insurance broker, and there are very good insurance brokers and not very good insurance brokers, a whole range, like with any industry. But a good broker should be able to give you advice on types of policy, on the things you should be covered for, and all that sort of stuff. So going to a broker is one option. But your policy in general, it's going to start out with some definitions, uh, maybe all sorts of words in the policy, what these words mean. Then it'll usually define what's being covered. So this is what we mean by building. This is what we mean by contents. This is what's not building and not content. So you just get a bit of a definition around what's actually covered. And it's good to run through those lists because some people assume, for example, that carpets are part of the building when they're contents or curtains or blinds, they're contents. Um, and particularly if you're in a strata unit, for example, um, strata building insurance differs from normal building insurance in a number of different areas. And what is considered part of the building and what is considered contents or, or neither building nor contents uh, they can all come up. So understand what you're covered for. The next section generally will be um, just different things about you know, how you pay your premium, what your obligations are to disclose, so some of those things that they will go through, housekeeping. And then they'll usually go into uh, the types of events that you're covered for. There are two main types of policies. Um, some companies have three types of policies. So you have a basic one. Basic one will be a, a really cheap premium. It won't cover lots of different things, like maybe it won't cover fencing, might not cover shower leaks, might, might not cover a range of different things that you would find in a normal policy. But it's designed for those that really can't afford it and they just need the basic structure covered. Uh, then you've got like the mid-range policies. Some will call it, say, quality, for example. Or they might just call it the, the standards. Or uh, Sometimes they'll have marketing-type names to make it sound like the best policy. So, you know, the home, home insurance elite or home insurance extras or something like that. But it will usually be the mid-range policy. And, and that's what's called a listed events policy or a defined events policy. What that means, and this is most policies, by the way, what that means is you are covered for the list of events that is listed in this policy anything outside those events you are not covered for. So, and, and that's why they're called defined events. Only these events that are defined in the policy, you'll be covered for. Uh, and they, they're events like storm, flood in many cases, fire, theft, you know, the, the, the normal stuff. 
you then, in in many cases, will have a, a higher level policy, uh, which might be called Elite Plus or uh, you know Premium or something like that. Um, what that is, it's called an accidental damage policy. Now, accidental damage essentially means we, we used to call it a catch-all policy. It means you are covered for anything that happens to your property except for the list of exclusions that we have in this document. And so if you are carrying your TV from one room to the other and you drop it, you're covered under accidental damage. You're not under defined events. So there's two very different types of policies. Generally, there'll be maybe 30 or 40% difference in price too. You'll pay more for the premium product, but it covers you for anything. So if, if um, uh, I don't know, if, if something just happens that, that damages the property, but it, it doesn't come under what would normally be a defined event, uh, as, as a landlord's policy, for example, um, they'll often cover you for malicious damage by tenant, but not neglect. And so the number of claims I've been into where the landlord's perspective is, well, the house looked like this when the tenant came in. There's all this mess and the carpets are dodgy and there's marks on the walls and whatever it might be, and we should be covered for that. But the assessor will say, hang on, that's not malicious because malicious is damage that is caused for the intent of causing damage, you know, deliberate and willful. And so uh, an accidental damage policy will often cover you for much more than just a standard policy. So understand what type of policy yours is. When you go through those listed events, each one will usually have exclusions tagged to that event. So if a storm, for example, uh, many policies will not cover retaining walls for any damage that comes under storm or flood or a few of the different areas. But if there was an earthquake and the retaining wall broke in half, it might be covered. So there's specific exclusions to certain types of events. And then you'll have uh, general exclusions, which apply to all different sections of cover under the policy. Um, most pol So this is just going through the policy. You'll see the events you're covered for, the exclusions. Then it'll go into additional benefits. And, and there can be some policies have some really good benefits. Um, for those that maybe are going through the bushfires at the moment, there are policies that cover you up to a few grand for counselling, for argument's sake. And a good insurance companies should tell you about those and proactively encourage you to use them. Uh, some will wait for you to find them. And so read definitely read through your additional benefits and recognise whether those benefits are included within the sum insured or if they're over and above the sum insured, because that, that'll always be noted there on the additional benefits. Then the policy will move to different areas. You might have liability coverage, legal liability. So it covers you for any any uh, claim that someone else makes against you if they injure themselves on your property, for example. And then it'll go into a section of the policy where it talks about how we manage your claim, how we um, settle your claim, how we deal with your claim, something to that effect. That'll then go through the process of how of, of that insurance company's practical view on how claims will be addressed under the terms of the policy. So they're your general sections of cover uh, in, in almost every policy PDS. Uh, and then there's just a bit of housekeeping on either side of that. So if you the, the, the most important things to understand are what do they include as building contents and what don't they? Uh, what are the events you're covered for or do you have accidental damage? What are the general exclusions that apply to the whole policy? And how will they actually deal with your claim? If you read those four sections and understand the policy from that perspective, you'll really be prepared for claim time. And you'll know whether this policy meets your needs. Along with that, uh, I, I will say to people, never shop around on price. And I get that we've all got a budget. We're all trying to save money. The reason I think we shop around on price for insurance much more than other things is that until we have a major major loss, most of us think insurance is really a bit of a waste of time. And most of the conversations I have with people who have suddenly 
it suddenly dawned on them that what they got was a cheap, dodgy product rather than maybe the one they'd had for 20 years up until six months ago and they've suddenly changed and now they've had a major loss. It can be devastating the difference with uh, what, what policy you've chosen. So never shop around on price. Shop around on policy and benefits, coverage and benefits. And then if you get the policies that have the right coverage and benefits for you, by all means get the one that's the most uh, competitive but it's it's far more important if you ever need this to use this policy the the terms and conditions will be far more important to you than the 50 bucks a year you saved yeah it's quite interesting you said in your earlier chat that you can't understand how people don't read their policies and i have to put my hand up and say look i was definitely guilty of that before uh we experienced the gap storms we you know had bought we were you know our insurance policy was something that we'd bought when we bought our first house and didn't have any kids and then we just carried it over to the next property and it was a budget insurance policy and it was really interesting we sort of went through that process of the gap storms and navigated then of course the 13 month battle to get our settlement but we also watched what happened with the houses around our area and whose tarps disappeared from their roofs soonest and started to look at the insurers that were taking care of their clients and we then started looking at alternative insurers and yeah the next time we went bought an insurance policy and ever since we read it with a fine tooth comb and literally run the worst case scenario you know, process through how the the policy is written, but they're mind numbing. Those PDS statements, they are mind numbing. So, <laughs> and so it's it's that thing of like, okay, you know, yeah, I may never need to use this, but if I do, I want to make sure that I'm covered, you know, and then shell out thousands of dollars per year, you know, for the privilege of it. So. Yeah, that's right. And look, even but even if you just look at what you're covered for and what you're not, just those two sections alone, do you realise that? And and I'll give you an example from Townsville. February last year, they had that major flood and weather event. Uh, the number of people who had strata title properties, units or townhouses, who actually had no idea that their policy did not cover flood until their strata manager or the insurance company told them in the aftermath. And and so I agree, it's mind numbing. But I mean, if it, like, let, let's take the claim that you went through, for example, and let's just use hypothetical figures and say it was a hundred thousand dollar claim. If I said to you, "Would you read through this policy if I gave you a hundred grand?" What would you say? <laughs> so, of course I would. You know, I'd read it fifty times for a hundred grand. But that's essentially what you what, what people don't do. They don't read it, not knowing that they've just cost themselves a hundred thousand dollars. And look, I, I totally understand, you know, that, that to most people this is mind-numbing. Insurance is mind-numbing. Um, you know, I get excited about it because I deal with it and because I know that you can actually change people's lives by understanding what you're doing. But I also realise that most people I know, they, they do glaze over. And because I suppose insurance is one of those things that we all know is there and we all hope it'll look after us when the time comes. But until then, we just don't want to think about it. It's just that another three grand I've got to pay out this year to that silly insurance company again. Yeah, that's the mindset. And and then what I find is the insurance companies that do the right thing, once somebody goes through a major claim, they'll be loyal for life. And and this is what I don't understand from the insurance company side is, yeah, you might save five grand on this claim by, by these unscrupulous practices, but at what cost? Uh, at what cost to... Word of mouth can actually be your, your greatest friend or your biggest enemy. And a company like us, word of mouth is our greatest friend. We, we stopped advertising three years ago because we, we can't keep up with the word of mouth demand. But when, when your actions are unconscionable, that word of mouth becomes your greatest enemy. You know, So I, I don't even understand some of these things from a self-interest point of view from the insurance companies. 
Yeah, you're so right. And I think, you know, don't be like me who had to go through a situation in order to actually start reading the policy that you're paying for. It's this thing of of taking the time and actually understanding all of the logistics of what it's going to look like in terms of the process of you making a claim and making sure that you're covered. And I think too, particularly as you do get older, I mean, you know, the, when we when we first bought when we first got insurance, we were first-time home buyers, and we didn't have any kids, and we didn't own a lot of stuff. Now, after you know a couple of decades of accruing things and and a home that you know is a, a valuable asset, and also you have a lot of your own personal finances tied up in that insurance policy becomes far more significant as a as a document to kind of then, if you do unfortunately go through a situation, to then be able to navigate forward, you know, with taking care of your kids and and those types of things. So. That's true. And, and that's the same with contents too. The number of people who have absolutely no idea what, what value of contents they have. And, and that's probably one of the biggest issues I've seen in my whole 25 years in the industry now uh, as, as I would say the, the most common obstacle that comes up for people is that their contents are way underinsured. And so how do you recommend people do go through that process of working out what their home's value is and what their contents are valued at? Yeah. Look, there are different uh, – it's one thing that makes it difficult for people in the insurance industry is that there are very strict rules about whether they can give you advice on how much you should insure for. And and the, while I understand those limitations and why they're in place, the, the problem with that is when you talk to your insurance company, they, they, the staff members really can't give you a, a recommendation as to what you should insure for. And so, therefore, they don't give you any advice, and, and it's all back on you to get it right. Now, there are guides that are available online. There's one, uh, the, uh, the Cordell Building Guide is one that's used fairly regularly, Cordell's. Uh, and I think, and I mean, I'm, I'm uh, going off the top of my head here, but they, they go with square meterage rates. So, for a rebuild of a home, it might be, say, $2,750 or something per square metre. But it depends on a number of factors, like the the slope of the land, where you're at. An example that I used to give people, and it's probably a good example just to to quickly explain to people that rebuild cost on a home is absolutely nothing to do with real estate value. A lot of people will think, okay, I paid five hundred grand for the building uh, for the for the property, which is house and land. So let's go two fifty for the building, two fifty for the land, or three hundred and two hundred, and they insure for that value and think, oh, I'm okay. Uh, but the example I give is, let's say you take a house that's in Broken Hill, for argument's sake, and and that house might sell from a real estate basis for two hundred thousand dollars. Now to rebuild that house in Broken Hill might cost you six hundred and fifty thousand because you've only got a few builders and you've got to get materials in. If you pick that same house up and put it next to Sydney Harbour, it's going to sell for three million dollars. But that same house won't cost one point five million to build in Sydney. You probably get it built for two fifty. Uh, and then if you put that same house somewhere like Alice Springs, where even a basic home is going to cost you six or seven hundred thousand to build, because again of, of all of those, uh, and, and yet the real estate value here, you might pay half a million. And so you got the same house could sell for three million, half a million, or two hundred thousand, and yet it's going to cost more in those areas of the lower real estate values than it will cost you to rebuild in Sydney. And so it's an extreme example, but it, it, I guess it makes the point that whatever you've paid for your home is actually nothing to do with what it's going to cost you to rebuild. If you really want to make sure that you're covered, you can actually engage an expert. Again, I'd say that people should engage independent experts to come and actually give you a not a real estate valuation, but a rebuilding valuation. Uh, now, you might pay a 1000 or two for that, but if you've got a million-dollar asset, it's probably worth a 1000 or two to get someone to, to give you a realistic figure. Uh, we, we tend to have building inspectors 
inspection reports when we come into properties. Um, some are good and some maybe aren't that good, but we, we pay a few hundred dollars for that. And so ideally you get someone to come and, and do that exercise for you. But even if you don't or if you don't have the money to, to invest, look at some of the online calculators that are around and, and if anything, overestimate, overinsure. I always say to people over-insure. So the building, you, you can get different calculators as to how much that costs, but and you might just apply a square meterage rate. You, you might then add 20% if you've got a prestige home and you've got all the top-of-the-line appliances and maybe imported floor tiles and, and various things. If you've built the home yourself, you're going to have a much better idea of what it costs, but for many of us, we haven't built the home. So uh, with contents... It's a very different thing because most of us, when it comes to insurance, we think of our jewellery, we think of our electronics and maybe our major furniture. So the average person might sit there and think, oh, yeah, 30 grand, that's plenty, or 50 grand, that's plenty. Because in the back of our minds, we also never think we're going to lose it all. We think of the theft. Oh, yeah, they're going to steal 10 grand worth of stuff. Oh, I'm covered for that. Or we think of the, the flood where, okay, I'll have a chance to, to lift everything up and we'll only lose some of our stuff. But they, they don't, uh, or many people don't, for a start, include the full value of recarpeting and all your curtains and blinds. There's, in many homes, five or ten grand before you start. If you're in a strata property, uh, and many strata policies may not cover anything that you've added within the unit. So, um, so in some areas, even painting on the walls is not covered. Cabinetry, kitchens, bathrooms, they may actually come under your contents if you're in strata. So you might be up to 30 grand already before you've replaced any items that you own. And then things like uh, if you've got a bookcase full of books, go and actually cost the new for old replacement of that bookcase full of books, you're probably at five grand there. And clothing, clothing's one that most people underestimate. In my experience, the average adult would have several thousand dollars worth of clothing replacement value. And we might think, oh yeah, but look, I've bought them all at Target or Kmart or, or whatever. But if you've got 20 shirts and you've got three suits and you've got a couple of pairs of boots and various things, you're well up over $1,000 before you even started. And so once you've got a family of five with, let's say, again, hypothetical figures, five grand each in clothing, there's 25. You've got all your major furniture, maybe you've got another 20-odd thousand there. You've got all your books and your CDs and your electronics and the few thousand dollars worth of stuff we all have in our kitchen, the few thousand dollars at least worth of bed linen that we all have. We, don't, we just think about beds. But, you, you know, it just adds up and – for for a family, even without anything special, you can very easily run to a hundred, one hundred fifty thousand dollars in contents before you even begin. Um, and, and so this is where people end up in trouble because they don't consider so many of those other things. You pointed out before we start insurance when we first get married and we own nothing, and then by the time we're in our forties and maybe we've spent twenty years collecting, uh, what, what's in our garage? Most of our garages are, are full of probably clutter. But if you're insured for all that stuff, what would it cost to replace it all? It's really interesting too because I think of when the fires were near us in November of 2019 and we were prepping for evacuation and trying to fit what we could into a car. The stuff I was putting into our car was stuff that wasn't replaceable, you know, so it was that thing of like the stuff that I was I could actually take with us was not the things that would have been really I would have bought new under contents insurance anyway and the stuff that would completely get destroyed if the place burnt was all the stuff that was going to sit in our contents insurance and it was quite it was quite interesting looking around and going actually and thinking about okay well some of these things are going to sit inside that definition of collections which is going to have a maximum value under the insurance policy and you know so it doesn't matter if i own $10,000 worth of that item if the collections only $5,000 then i'm going to have to you know and- unless it's itemized like unless you note it yes yeah so it was really it was this really interesting uh, awakening of like oh actually 
geez, we own a lot of stuff. We probably don't need to own all of this stuff. And it's quite interesting what I chose to take. Like I only actually just, we've had enough rain to feel like for me to feel okay to unpack it and put it all back. <laughs> it's like, you're sort of putting, and I, I spoke to a girlfriend actually who lives in Southern, whose parents live down in Potato Point in South New South Wales. And she said her parents, it was the same thing when she actually looked at what they packed to evacuate with. It was quite strange, the collection of stuff that you do in that state of kind of, anxiety and stress and you know what you're doing and and so you can't ever you can't I think that thing of like you you say oh we never ensure for the full contents because we figure we'll get the chance to clear it or to take it or to pack it don't don't trust that you'll be in you know a frame of mind to be logical at that point in time with your content sum insured if you were to double your sum insured it's not going to double your premium it's it may go up five or ten or fifteen percent because the, the sum insured is not one of the biggest risk factors on a policy, and that's because most claims are not total losses. So whether you have 30 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand sum insured, a large percentage of claims are going to be for that $2,000 water damage or the $5,000 theft, and it's not really going to change the payout too much. It's only the total losses that are the big difference. So you find that, likewise, if you halve your sum insured, you won't halve your premium. You might save 10%. And, and so reducing your sum insured is not the most effective way of saving money. If you want to save money or if your insurance premiums are really killing you financially, a much better way is to increase your excess. You can pay up to 1000 2000 5000 excess on a building if you want to. What that means is you're not going to make those little claims, but you might end up just reserving your insurance for the major claim and pay the first few thousand yourself. But you might save several hundred dollars a year in premiums. And so if you're not making a claim every second year, it's a much more effective way of saving money on an ongoing basis, having a higher sum insured with a higher excess. Because if you had, let's say you, you dropped your sum insured, let, let's just, again, hypothetical. Say you've got 100 grand worth of stuff, but you can only afford to insure it for 50. You insure it for 50 with a $1,000 excess, then you'll walk away with 49,000 in the event of a total loss. If you insure it for 100 with a five grand excess, you walk away with 95,000, maybe for the same price. Do you know what I'm saying? So there's yeah. there's different ways of saving money smarter. For example, like you talked about collections. That's, that's a big example. Um, I've, I'm a reader. I love books. I've got about eight bookcases at home. I've got my books insured for 30 grand uh, because that's really what a replacement is going to cost for, for all those books. And you're not talking special collections. It's just books. And so people just, they really don't consider i mean look at the look at the documentation if you had a total loss fire let's say the bushfire had come through your house and and if you've got a family say of five people for argument's sake you got five passports five birth certificates well there's your first two grand you know to replace that sort of stuff and these are the things we don't think about in their sum insured uh you've got your wedding certificates you've got all of the documentation maybe a new copy of your house title deeds and you know, just all that stuff that all costs money to go and get again and if you're not insured for everything you own, these are all those hidden costs that, okay, maybe you'll get your sum insured paid out, but it might still cost you 20 grand over and above that to replace all of this other stuff that never even entered your mind. Yeah, that's great advice, David. I really appreciate you taking us through that in such detail. That's awesome. Say you live on, this will apply to a lot of rural and regional listeners um, in the UI community. If you're living on a property that doesn't have all approved structures, so there might be a shed that didn't go through council. I know in our area, lots of people, you know, renovate dairy bales and, uh, you know, it hasn't necessarily gone through council. What happens, you lose everything in a fire or something gets significantly damaged, 
can the insurance company say, look, no, it wasn't an approved structure, so we don't have to pay that out? How does that kind of, how have you seen that play out? Really good question. There's a, there's a number of factors in rural policies. Rural policies uh, are a very unique type of policy and they have very different terms and conditions and ramifications than maybe the mum and dad residential policy. So first of all, if the structure is not listed on your, on your policy, it's probably not covered. So if you've got your own home, you've got a house, a garage, a garden shed, well, you don't have to list all those. You're just covered for a sum insured. On a rural policy, in many cases at least, and it, it does depend on your policies, um, but in many cases only uh, structures that are listed are covered. Rural policy also has, uh, um, in many cases, a very, uh, in my view, unfair clause that used to be on many policies when I first joined the industry, but it's it's only really on commercial and rural now. And that's called the under-insurance clause or the co-insurance clause. Now, it, it's quite a complex situation, but I, to explain it, I guess, in layman's terms, if you've got a property that's worth, say, a million dollars and you insure it for half a million, then you're insured for 50% of what the full replacement cost would have been. And when they work that out, they work that out, including all of your services under the ground, your trenches, your concrete, everything that's got to be done to fully replace that property. If you're insured for 50% of that and you make a claim, let's say it's a 50 grand claim for a, a minor fire or something, you'll only get the proportion paid of that claim that you insured for. Yes. Now, there's there's some uh, – there's – a little bit of a buffer in there because they take it down to 80% of full replacement value. And so there's, it's not as simple as that, but in, in a general sense, that means that you are deemed to be co-insuring for the balance of the value of your property. So therefore, you are co-insuring for the, that proportion of the value of your own claim. Oh, yeah, it's, it wow. used to be many years ago. It's on all policies. And, and in my view, it's so unfair, again, because the average consumer has no idea. And, and this is one of those terms in the policy that you just glaze over when you start reading it, unless you understand the ramifications. Now, I'll give you an example from Cyclone Marsha in Rockhampton 2015. I went to a property, rural property. The lady had bought the property. When she'd bought the property, she'd asked the insurance company to send a risk survey because she had no idea of values. They said, no, we don't do that. You've got to work it out. So she had one of her, she had a, a hay shed, you know, the three, I think it was just the rear wall, not the side of front walls, um, and you've got your roof, and, and other than that, it's just the timber structure. So it was many years old. She thought, oh, yeah, 15 grand would be plenty for that. So she insured it for 15 grand. The cyclone came through, and it actually blew off part of the roof. Now, the total repair cost was about 15 grand, but the full replacement cost, if that structure had been totally destroyed, would have been 60. So it was deemed by the insurance company she was insured for 25% of the value. So therefore, 25% of that 15 grand damage was about $3,500. So they paid about three and a half. Um, now, there was a few other disputed aspects of that claim that we fought and won at AFCA, but on that issue, we lost because it was deemed that, um, that that clause was in the policy, and so therefore uh, they were entitled to reduce it by that 75%. So what's the wording um, of so that, that, that clause? What do you need to look for? It changes uh, policy for policy, but it's uh, it's usually called under-insurance or co-insurance. And, and it's in many rural policies and it's in many commercial policies, but it's not usually in the average building contents anymore. Now, the reason I raise that is because that, that's a huge ramification when it comes to rural. And, and many of those structures, they might be 50 years old. They might be half falling apart. Um, in, in some cases, I've seen uh, horse stables that have just been built by the owner. And they're just, you know, a few bits of wood and, and they, they whack them up there. And then a storm comes through and blows them over. 
Now, again, if those structures aren't compliant, an insurance company can potentially, and they usually do, deny it and say, no, we're not going to cover you for that, or we'll just give you five grand for the materials. But the question that they've got to come to, and the question we often come to with the insurance companies is, okay, did the non-compliance or, or the not lack of certification on that structure result in the damage. So if that was a normal storm event with 70 kilometre an hour winds that blew the stable over, you'd have to say that the structural inadequacy was the proximate cause of the loss. Because if it was built properly, it would have withstood 70 kilometre an hour winds. But if it's a Cat 5 cyclone, no matter how that little sucker was built, it was going to fall over. And, and so these are, again, the semantic arguments that we have over is it fair for the insurance company to say no? And in some cases, it's cases it is fair. Uh, or is it actually unfair? Are they using semantics to say, well, it's technically non-compliant, so we won't pay? Rural structures, the, the first absolute number one rule is make sure you completely ensure the full replacement cost or read your policy. Um, the, the first thing you want to know about your policy is does it have the under-insurance provisions or co-insurance provisions, um, which mean that you will only be covered to the proportion that you're insured for. Okay. No, that's um, oh, that's such good advice. I'm going to go and check my policy. So, <laughs> okay. So now you have all of that great information. Make sure that you actually go to your PDS, find your PDS for your existing home and contents policy, and go through it with a fine tooth comb. I know that my husband and I we read PDS statements very differently since we went through our own insurance battle many years ago. It's honestly, it is really worthwhile to find out if there are any issues before you have to make a claim. If you head to the resources on the website for this episode, and the link will be in the show notes as well, you'll actually be able to grab the free contents inventory spreadsheet that David mentioned because he's kindly given it to me to share with you so you can grab it there. And remember to head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash rebuild for all that we're sharing in the rebuild and build better series and bookmark it so that you can keep checking back as it grows as an online hub for anyone rebuilding after bushfires or wanting to build better and more resilient homes. And please share this podcast with others that you know it will help. I'd actually, I would just love for this season to really reach the people who need it and can benefit from the expertise, experience and knowledge that we're sharing here. In the next episode, David's going to be back again for our last chat with him. He's going to be helping us more with understanding our existing policies, especially highlighting just how much you have to justify the value of your contents when it comes to making a claim so that you get your coverage for anything that you've lost. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Bye.